Well, welcome. It's the third Sunday of Advent, right? Third Sunday of Advent? Awesome. One more Sunday of Advent. And by the way, for our, for our class, we will meet next week. The following week, we will not, and then we'll resume, I think, after that. I, I'm not sure, but, but for sure next week. So just so you're aware, for sure next week. Although, Friday, school. <laughs> Let's, uh, yes, one more week. We got this. Um, well, on this third Sunday of Advent, we're going to continue, of course, with the life of Christ. When I was looking back at my notes, we, were, we had started the life of Christ uh, last year and were able to actually mirror the Sundays of Advent with some of the, uh, a lot of the nativity lessons. So it was pretty, because I was looking at things, I was like, well, maybe we should go, well, no, we just did that. It's just with that COVID break, it just seems like, yeah, it's, 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 it seems long ago. And it was long ago, but in lesson terms, it wasn't long ago. Now, are you thoroughly confused? You got it. All right. Well, in this, this lesson this morning, we're going to be in Matthew. We're moving from Mark to Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. And this is where Jesus sends out the 12. The first time he sends out his apostles to do his, uh, to do mi his mission, and that is to declare the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Uh, interestingly, in Matthew's gospel, we're not told that they actually go. We're, we're given the instructions, and then we're... We're not given what happened actually on the mission. In Mark and Luke, we are told that they did indeed go. Uh, but what's interesting for us is that this mission continues. What he tells his disciples about going out to declare the kingdom is at hand is relevant for us because that mission continues. And we're going to be in, we're going to start actually in the middle of Jesus' charge to his disciples. And you'll, if you're looking in your Bible, you notice it's in the middle of a big red letter chunk. So you'll know that Jesus was saying these things because he spoke in red. So there you go. So we're in the middle of this uh, because of the relevance, I think, for all of us. Uh, this recorded in the other uh, synoptic gospels in Mark and in Luke is very short. There are just a few things from Matthew's account that are included. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, you'll see the outline itself is divided into two parts, uh, fear and persecution, verses 24 to 33, and faith and priorities, 34 to 42. And I say fear and persecution because the one thing I want us to remember in context-wise here is that Jesus is telling them to go out and do this means that you're going to put yourself on the line. Part of being a disciple, part of being one of Jesus' followers, is to do what Jesus did, and that's going to put us in harm's way. And for, for me, as I was studying it, I was, I was realizing that as I, as I was looking at these things, I don't feel that all the time. I don't feel like I'm necessarily in danger all the time, although more and more in our culture, of course, people are trying to squelch anyone who would try to declare the gospel or that the gospel is true. Keep your little private religious thing private. Is how people kind of see it now. So I think uh, while we don't face what Jesus is telling them you're going to face right now, there are people in our, our world right now who are facing that. Persecution on a grand scale. Not only persecution because they're followers of Christ, but because people are plotting against them, 
They're having to defend themselves before courts. They're, Jesus says you're going as, as sheep, I mean, as, as sheep going into a wolf pack, basically. And it's in that context that we need to read this because there's a real danger of fear. I mean, that's just normal. If, we're going to, if we are in danger, we're instinctually we are going to fear. And what Jesus tells us in this first part that we're going to examine and what he tells his apostles is to be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. It's been said, I didn't research it, I read it, okay, a couple of places, but I didn't go back and check it, that you would, if we were asked to say, what was the number one command in the entire Bible, you know, the one said the most, you know, uh, in our day and age, you know, we would think, well, don't do this, or, you know, be, go to church more, you know, those kind of things. It's, don't be afraid. Fear not. So this is our chance to hear why we shouldn't be afraid in the face of persecution. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to read aloud verses 24 through 33. 24 through 33. Jay, are you ready? I am ready. All right. All right. The student is not above the teacher nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. It is, it, it, if the head of the house has been called beer a ball, how much more will the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. So there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be, that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, I speak in the daylight, what is whispered in your ear, proclaimed from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are there are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. <laughs> well, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledged before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Thank you, sir. That's it. Good job. All right. Um, you're going to hear, as we read, I hope you heard several reasons, actually, for us not to fear. And the first he brings up is just by way of example is our identity with Christ, that we are identified with Christ. You might think, well, that's, how is that helpful? He's going to be crucified. In other words, whatever we go through, he has gone through. He's telling us to have a proper perspective on this. And he gives the example, of course, as a disciple is not above a teacher, slave not above his, his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Now, if they've called the head of the house Beelzebub, 
Brielle's bull, how much more the members of his household. That's supposed to be encouraging. In other words, this is not strange, is what he's saying. This is not coming at you because, you know, God hates you or because circumstances are only stacked against you. This is what you should expect. You are my follower, and I have come to my people, and the leaders of my people are basically calling me the Lord of Demons. So, what do you think they're going to call you? What do you think they're going to do to you? Now, we talked about that name, Beelzebul, Lord of the Flies, a couple weeks ago when we talked about when, when the, he, Jesus was accused of casting out demons. So, uh, if you want to go into the details of that, you can, here's my first reference, go back and research the podcast. There you go. You can go back and do that. All right. So that's our first reason not to fear is that we have one who's gone before us. We should expect persecution. Often we're not in fear as much of what we expect. Often it's things that just come up that shock us and surprise us and create that fear. So he's telling his disciples and through extension us, this is what's going to happen. Of course this is going to happen. However, now, he says, but don't fear them. There it is. I don't want you to fear them um, because there's no, nothing covered that won't, that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in light. What you're whispered, go ahead and shout from the rooftops. He says, I don't want you to fear them because the truth will out. He's saying, eventually, you will be vindicated. Now, it could be in your lifetime. It could be after your earthly lifetime. He doesn't say. But the vindication will come. The truth will rise. All the plotting and scheming and motivations behind the persecution will be made known. And then equally, the absolute truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be revealed. It will all be made known, so go ahead and start proclaiming. So shout it from the rooftops. Go ahead and what you're hearing, and they don't know the full extent of it yet, right? Even they, they don't really realize yet the full extent of Jesus' ministry. That whispered, those things they heard whispered and things that they, they didn't quite understand became louder and louder and louder and louder as time grew and their understanding grew. And by this time, we should be the loudest. Our rooftops should be the biggest because we are the beneficiaries of the fullness of the revelation. Uh, and 2,000 years of people having expounded it uh, and giving us better understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So because the truth will out, go ahead. I, I, I found a fun translation, I think. Where was it? So eventually everything's going to be put in the open. So don't hesitate to go public now. That's a good translation, I think. So don't fear because we're identifying with Christ. We are his people. Expect this. And don't worry. All of this plotting behind the scenes will be made known. And everyone will eventually know the gospel. So if that's the case, stay. Start telling, blurt it out now. You know, well, I'm going to wait for the right time. And sometimes there's some wisdom in waiting for good opportunities. 
But often waiting for the right time just leads us into waiting for more waiting, and then waiting, and then more waiting. Blurt it out. What are you going to do? Push them to hell number two? There is, yeah, see, in other words, go for it. Uh, but I'm kind of scared about that. Yes, I know. That's why he's saying, don't fear. <laughs> and again, I'm talking to myself here too, guys. And I love this next one. Here's the next reason. They can only kill you. <laughs> okay, got it. In other words, uh, our perspective should be very different, right? Uh, yes, this life is important. And we're not Gnostics. We're not saying, like, you know, that we, we just want to make sure one day that we're out of this body and just spiritual beings one day. No, we look forward to a resurrection. We're not Gnostics. We accept that this world is, is important and that our life is important and that God gave us life for a reason, but death is not final. There's more to come. They can only kill you. They can only kill your body. You're more than your body. Now, your body and soul will one day be reunited, new body, resurrection, but that essential part of you, your soul, continues. That's what you should be concerned about, he's saying. They're, they can only kill your body. And that's going to happen anyway. You're going to die. And that's sobering. We don't, none of us believes in our own mortality, but we are mortal. And we're going to die. But there is a second death. Just as there is new life. And he's saying, rather, if you're going to fear, you should have a fear of the one who can consign you to hell. In other words, and that's God. That sounds odd, right in the middle of an encouraging thought. But place your fear where it should be. A healthy reverence and fear of God. Uh, what is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. So fear, you can place your fear correctly, rightly, in God. Now that's not because you need to walk around thinking that, oh, I might do something wrong and he's going to send me to hell. There are a lot of cults, a lot of weird denominations founded on that based on fear. I've got to do all I can to make sure I earn God's favor. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you're so afraid of people who can, who can just kill you. Where real fear should be a recognition of your, of your immortality and who holds that in his hands. And that is God. There will never be a time when you aren't. Isn't that weird? From this day forward, there will not be a time when you aren't. And who holds that part that survives death? God. Place your fear there. In fact, fear in the sense of that knowledge, but be comforted in that he knows that too. We often think that, well, God's going to forget me. He's, you know, I'm out here suffering for him. Where's, where's he? And, and that's the next bit that he says. He says, I also don't want you to fear because, and then he gives this example, are two, aren't two sparrows sold for a cent? And we're supposed to say yes. Right? That's one of those questions. We're not going to wrangle over it. And, it, and they were. It was just like... The, the coin that he's mentioning here was a Roman copper coin worth about a sixteenth of a day's wage. 
and you could buy a couple of sparrows. And poor people used those sometimes for offerings, but often for food. And he's saying that. So he's just saying, all right, look, there's sparrows, cheap, on the market. You can get sparrow for nothing. But not one of those falls to the ground, and your heavenly Father doesn't know it. In fact, he even knows numbers of, you know, he has the hairs on your head numbered, which I know, the jokes, here they come, right? <laughs> for some of us, that becomes easier every day, you know, that blah, blah, I get it. Um, so, yeah, that's a great joke. Um, but... And by the way, this morning I was reading an article where they tried, and this is nothing to do, it's just about bald heads. Um, <laughs> in Europe, uh, in Scotland, they were trying, because of COVID, you know, to keep the number of people down. They didn't have real cameramen. They were trying to use a, uh, uh, cameras that had algorithms to follow the ball and all these things on the field. And the announcers kept having to apologize during the match <laughs> because it kept zeroing in on, on a linesman's head, and he's bald. So it just kept zeroing in, in this guy's head. So I thought that was bald, ball. I can see why he got f confused. <laughs> so he's saying, so if that's the case, aren't you more, you don't fear. You're, you're worth a little more than a couple, than a couple of sparrows. You can kind of hear him saying that, right? Don't you think? I think you're a little worth a little more than a couple of sparrows. Don't, don't be afraid. And then finally, he, he says, and I'm your advocate. I'm there. I am your advocate. He says, and it's kind of haunting, actually. We, we kind of read it and go, ooh. Well, we're supposed to read it and go, all right, cool. It kind of shows where we are. Every, so, everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I'll confess him before my Father who's in heaven. That's supposed to be the, all right, good. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Don't succumb to the fear of dismissing me and, and acting like you don't know me over and over and over and over again. In fact, declare me publicly, and I'm going to declare you. Uh, just think of recent history in, in the text that we've been looking, you know, in the left life of Christ we've been looking at. We've seen someone like across the shore in the lake, uh, a, a, a Gentile who'd been freed of a legion of demons who now goes to declare publicly. We've seen the uh, woman with the issue of blood, right, who publicly, in, you know, despite everything, came to just touch him, you know, just to, just to get that out. Uh, you know, Jairus, who... No, no uh, fear of his reputation, everything, falls at Jesus' feet in faith. So we have those examples. So to declare publicly, acknowledge Jesus publicly, that should give us courage. Now, by the same token, you're probably, I can think of one guy who's listening to this originally, who's there at Jesus, when Jesus is telling this the first time, I can think of one guy who famously repudiated Jesus in public three times. What's his name? Peter. So, while this can appear frightening to us, remember, this God is also a God of mercy 
and grace. And he recognizes our foibles and our stumblings. Not everyone's going to be able to do this in the same way. But always remember that God is more intelligent than us, not less intelligent. Meaning, whereas we see the beauty of that grace offered to Peter after he had publicly denied Jesus three times with Jesus looking at him. That would have been haunting. He was given opportunities to also tell him again that he loved him and to move forward. So, while, so I want us to take encouragement from that as well, that there is opportunity for us. You, know, you look back and go, oh, I blew it. I was scared and I didn't. I, I, I kind of hid my faith and I, and I didn't say what I was supposed to. Don't let that you know, just stun you into inaction from here on out, as if, well, now I'm a failure. Jesus is going to deny me before the Father. I think we have good example to recognize that if you're sincere and repentant and recognize that you are afraid unnecessarily, you rekindle your faith, you'll have more opportunities. This is not a one-and-done deal. Does that make sense? All right, good. Yeah, I think there's hope in that. Yes, sir? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's instructing his disciples right here, yeah, before he sends them out. Unless Peter was off, you know, taking care of business or something. But yeah. <laughs> or behind a tree, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we move on, I wanted to just give you a little historical note on, uh, back up a little bit on that word uh, hell there. Uh, in the Greek transliterated from the Hebrew, it's Gehenna, and, and it's named after a valley outside of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. It had a long history, uh, and its, its original history had to do with you know, Israel going after false gods and worshiping Moloch, and Moloch demanded sacrifice of, of children being passed through the fire, meaning a burnt sacrifice of live children. And that's where that took place. Uh, during Josiah's reforms, that valley was, you know, that, that was gotten rid of. But then over time, people still used it because of its associations with Moloch and child sacrifice as a place to dump refuse and garbage and the, the bodies of dead criminals and those sorts of things. And by Jesus' day, it was that still, just sort of a, a gross sort of dump. Uh, with a constant smoldering, for the most part, from what we can tell from historical records uh, of fires and those things, where you know, wild dogs would go and gnash their teeth over the stuff that's in this valley and stuff. So you can hear the imagery of the gnashing of teeth and the smoldering and all of that. And that's the term that's used here uh, for that we put the word hell in. Although some of your Bibles may just transliterate it and have Gehenna. But I, I didn't want to go on before. We just talked just briefly about where that term came from. Now, we just finished with verses 32 and 33 as good, as, as one of the reasons we shouldn't fear, because we have an advocate. But it can also, I, I was kind of torn. My original outline, actually, had 32 and 33 in, in point two, because it's also a mark of proper faith in the midst of priorities and what your priorities are, and that you have to acknowledge Jesus. That's kind of a ground rule for entry-level discipleship, that you acknowledge Jesus publicly. 
but I, but I changed my mind as I was reading it. it um, but just know that it can almost be like a transitional between the two. Remember, I'm making up the outline. See, so yeah, so that's not that's not canonical at this point. All right. Well, now having said this about not fearing, he is going to tell them. But just so you know, you need to understand um, what you're going to be doing in declaring the kingdom at hand. And what I've come to do is it might look a little different than what people have expected. And it's going to make some demands on your priorities. Your faith is going to encounter now and must realign your priorities in life. And he's going to really stick it to us right up front when it comes to priorities and family, which is intriguing. So, with that in mind, uh, let's read verses 34 through 42 aloud. No, we got one down here, Jay. You did yours, man. Ron's going to read it, Jay. Hey, Jay. Ron's going to read it. Yeah. yeah, you did yours already. Uh, you got to share, man. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Awesome. You hear in those verses at the end there, those last few verses, uh, verses 40 through 42, how things have come full circle. Whereas before he said, you, just so you know, you're my follower, and therefore you're identified with me, and if things, bad things are happening to me, they're going to happen to you. Be ready. But at the end of this passage, notice he's saying as well, it works the other way. You, though, too, can be as I am now declaring the kingdom and bringing that to people. People's reaction to you as you're bringing it, you will also identify with me in that way. Does that so it's both sides of the coin. That's why he says, if they welcome you, they welcome me. If they welcome me, they welcome the Father. And then he, he and just to drive that home, he uses the example of prophet, righteous man, and a little one. He calls disciples the little ones. Anyone, anyone who does this, they're, 
So that it's kind of like the transitive property of mission work. I don't know if you're into transitive property math, right? You know, if A is, you know, if this is equal to that and that's equal to that and that's equal to that, so there you go. Done. You know, they welcome you, they welcome me, they welcome me, they welcome God. In welcoming you, they're welcoming God. So he ends on this encouraging note as well. But before we get to, before he did that, and notice I did that first. Now we're going to back up. Yeah, let's back up. He says, he starts this section with, I don't want you to think I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace. What? Wait a minute. This is Christmas. This is Christmas time. What? Peace on earth and all that stuff. That's right. I mean, isn't that, you know, that's kind of the deal. You know, you get Christmas cards and it says, peace, peace on earth. And right here, he's saying, don't, don't think I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. Whoa. All right, so there's two things going on here, okay? Two things. One, the, 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 look, the hope of the Jew looking for the Messianic age was peace. God would bring peace. And that is also the hope today of the new Israel and us looking forward to the second coming of Christ to bring peace. But in the interim, the nature of truth is divisive. It's not always peaceful. So yes, ultimately peace, but on the way, there can be division. The other problem that we have is, of course, how we translate from Luke, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's not actually a translation. That's, you know, that's from the King James, which is really cool. But it's peace on earth to men of goodwill, on who God's favor rests. That's not everybody either. You have an army there. I know we think women, Victorian angels, choir, but there's an, a heavenly army declaring peace on earth to those who recognize God's king. You can see him with a stuff. Yes! You know, that peace. Not, not Hallmark card peace. Okay. Like peace with a cost. So that's why he then quotes from Micah, uh, and in the passage from Micah, it's, 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 a, it's a prophecy of, of how things will, will get worse before it gets better. They're going to get worse before they get better. And hence you have these, the names of these relationships where, oh, thanks guys. No, no worries. They told me they were leaving up front. They're not offended much. <laughs> All right. Um, what can happen is, if you read, um, he says, a man's enemies, verse 36, will be the members of his own household. Because of the demand of following Jesus, which is all. What does he ask? All. That's all. He told us, yeah, don't, don't fear them. They can only kill you. That shocks us. What does Jesus want of me? Everything. All of you. All allegiance. Now this is not an excuse then to ignore your family or to run roughshod over family. A lot of people throughout, throughout the church history have said, 
well, I can't do that for my family because i got to serve Jesus. That's, that's not what he's saying here. Paul has a lot to say about how we're to take care of our families. What this does mean, however, is, is that we need to re-examine our priorities. Because we, what's going to happen if Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge that truth and there are people in your household who do not, that can drive wedges, a sword, a division in your household. You all know of, of stories of, of Jews who come to Christ in Orthodox Jewish families where they are cut off from the rest of the family. You are dead to me. Same with uh, Muslim or Islamic families. You are dead to me because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, does Jesus have no sympathy for that? Well, of course he does. But he's saying, unless, and let's continue, um, he says, he who loves father and mother of me is not, is not worthy. He who loves son or daughter is not worthy of me. So, unless your allegiance, your faith, commitment towards Christ supersedes even what people will say is the highest love, and that's the love of family. Why would you ever go against that? He says, unless it supersedes that, you don't want, any, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be a part of what I'm doing. You're not worthy of this. It's like, wow. I think we understand the principle behind it, but the actual application of it can often be very painful. Speaking of painful, look at the next illustration. He says, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That was painful. Now remember, this is before the crucifixion itself of Jesus Christ. We're not, they're not thinking spiritualized when they hear this. The disciples aren't going, oh yes, my cross of of overeating or my cross of nail biting or you know you've heard people spiritualize that's my cross to bear that has nothing to do with this that's that's kind of weird I don't know what that is pablum <laughs> but that's not what he's saying here when they heard the term cross they heard death they heard execution. They heard, you're already sentenced and on your way to your execution. You're carrying it with you. You carried your cross. So when they heard that, they heard, unless you're willing to die. There was no other way for them to interpret it. To sacrifice supremely. And not only that, as someone who is, who is sentenced to crucifixion, meaning... You're already sentenced. And then he says, and here's the, the paradox of the Christian life. It's the most quoted saying of Jesus in the Gospels. This is repeated six times in the Gospels. Twice in Matthew, once in Mark, twice in Luke, and once in John. All of the Gospel writers. Jesus must have said this a lot. And it is this, that the paradox of, look, if you're trying to save your own life, you're going to lose it. You try to put all your eggs into the right now basket of this life, you're going to lose it. But, if you'll give your life away to me, give me your all, and you'll not only get me, you'll get your life thrown in. 
You'll get your true life. That paradox of if you try to preserve, you're going to lose. If you give away, you're going to get. And it's over and over. And in, in three of those instances, of those six, the, the, the whole idea of taking up your cross is mentioned as well. So our priorities. Where, where are our priorities in our faith? You see, if we have that type of faith that makes Jesus and following him number one, well, then all the other stuff sort of takes care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all, this, all these things will be added unto you. But that doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, Joel Osteen happy clappy all the time. Sorry, that's out there now. But it's, it can be, you can die. And that's what he's called us to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when a man, when, when Jesus calls a man to come to him, he calls him to come and die. And I think Bonhoeffer probably knew a little bit about what was going on there. So, don't be afraid. You're on a mission, and it's going to be unpopular in a lot of places, but don't be afraid. Fear not. And those final words from him, of course, are that I'm your advocate. You acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. Don't be afraid. And then, you know, to, 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 to help us know if we're going to be on this road, we can't do this half-heartedly. There's no half-hearted discipleship. It's all in. That's entry level. Complete, absolute devotion, obedience to Jesus over even family ties, if that be the case. Wow. Aren't we grateful that God gives us a lot of chances? You know, I, I, you know a lot of preachers and teachers say, well, I, I'm only going to teach or preach those things that, that I don't struggle with. <laughs> then you're saying nothing, basically. You need to know that I was preaching to me. Well, this is a Sunday school. Teaching to me. That was preaching. I'm, I, that's, that, you need to know that because I struggle with this constantly. But with each round of repentance, there is new devotion, new prioritizing, new courage, new hope. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and how it, uh, it illumines, gives us direction, also uh, startled us, startles us some. can't imagine being one of the original apostles and being there sitting, sitting in the dust, looking up at your son and hearing these words and, and then following him and then seeing where that leads. And they were still faithful. That's incredible. Pray that we would uh, emulate that. This week, you're going to give us opportunities to, uh, to be as sheep among wolves. Our prayers that we would not fear. That we would be bold. 
and we'd see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. And then my sign-off. See you later, Pike.